Hello, hello, hello. Today is the 28th of January. And let's look at the weather forecast. It's cloudy, very cloudy, but I can see the glimpse of blue skies between the white fluffy cloudness. So it's quite bright. It's just cloudy. It's a lot of snow. And I'm holding my quartz crystal as I'm talking to myself. First of all, um, <clears throat> I like to thank all of you, all of my friends who are actually listening to the podcast. You have no idea what this means to me. I just love to share and to do my my part to help, you know. And it's uh, it's so great that you know you will actually listen to what I have to say. <laughs> it's that little girl in me. Um, I think it's something that we're all kind of working towards where you feel like, you know, you got nothing to give or nothing interesting to share. Of course, I know mentally, cognitively, it's not true, but it's there is still this very deep down childhood thing that says, no, nah, you're just a little girl. What have you got to say? You know, I think we all are, to a certain extent, aware or not aware about it. But I certainly am more and more aware of this, thanks to the good old lockdown, where I got literally nowhere to go. Um, that these kind of old memories come back sometimes. And I take it as a gift. Because it allows me to see, hmm... What are some things that happened in the past and how can I literally, quite literally forgive myself, um, forgive my environment and forgive my parents, you know, basically forgive, you know, so I can move on. And when, you know, it comes to being authentic and self-confidence, um, being self-assured, which is really going to give you a boost and an edge in your career, in your personal life, in everything, right? This gift of confidence, um, assuredness, authenticity, you know, speaking from your heart, it's, um, it's work, I believe, that you have to constantly work on. Maybe some people are super born lucky that they're naturally exuberating with confidence and authenticity. But what I like to believe is that it's those of us or those people who have actually gone back to their dark side, to their, you know, some of the haunting childhood memories or anything experience that happened in the past and confronts these demons, these inner demons, these bad experiences um, and, and done the work, you know, that you come out of it finding your true voice without fear. <clears throat> so... Yeah, so I remember 
I always have this image. So try and think of an image of yourself in your past. You might want to close your eyes and um, find some quiet time. And just ask, you know, count backwards from 10 to 1 real slow. Take deep breaths. It might not come instantly to you. It might take a couple of tries, but try and visualize where you were at, you know, at what point of time that that memory brings you back. So as this is a podcast and it's a recording, I'm just going to tell you what vision I have right in front of my mind. And I have a vision of me in primary one. So I was seven and I was in an elite girls school in Singapore. Singapore, as you know, education system is rough as hell. It's extremely competitive and very elitist, um, puts kids under uh, tremendous stress. I was seven and my mom put me in one of the best schools in Singapore, which is Raffles Girls Primary School. I had no idea. Well, no big deal. But I was this scrawny, young, you know, Burmese, Chinese kid, right? immigrants. Um, so I already felt a little awkward, but, you know, but on top of that, right, I was dark because my mom plunked me into swimming classes. She felt that I was so scared of everything, which essentially I was, um, to get some gung-ho into me. So she put me into these intensive swimming classes. So I was black, like, you know, tan. In Europe, Everybody loves tan skin. They're like, oh, so beautiful. But growing up in Asia, no, no, the Chinese people, they don't like tan skin. They they like white, fair skin. You know what I mean? It's it's strange. So I'm super tanned and um, my hair is short, 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 crew cut like a boy's because mom always wanted my hair short. So I stood out like a sore thumb. And on top of that, I was having measles or allergies. So my face was quite literally almost covered with um, allergy breakouts. So like if you think about pimples, it looks like pimples. It's really not pleasant. And sometimes these flare-ups would happen and it's like awful. And then the flare-ups will go away. And then I look kind of pretty much normal. But I mean, that takes a huge stab at my poor little seven-year-old self-confidence where you have these girls from super rich neighborhoods that are super fair, long, long hair, you know, very feminine and graceful. And I'm like, uh, excuse me. So, <laughs> um, so I felt like I stood out in a not very nice way. And even in kindergarten, uh, I remember I was so awkward I was also in a really elite kindergarten. My mom, for some reason, always puts me in these like super schools. So it was Calvary Pandan Kindergarten. It was a huge establishment. And, um, you know, it's not like a small little kindergarten. It was a huge building and very Christian principles because my mom had Baptist girls school growing up in Burma and Methodist or Baptist, I can't remember, but... It's basically very prestigious and she wanted her child to go through these prestigious educations like her. You know how moms always want the best for their children, thinking it's the best. And I have these breakouts again and 
No girl wants to be my friend. No girl wants to hold my hands because we have this, um, we need to stand in a row always, you know, like recess time, you go for break, so you got to line up. Nobody wants to hold my hand. So I would be like this little, like, no friends, completely alone. And it hurts my feeling a lot. The only person that would hold my hand because he is forced to hold my hand is this boy. And that's because he also had rashes. He had rashes all over his hands, I think. And so no boy would want to hold his hands. They're like, ew, disgusting. So yeah, so I went through the whole blur of kindergarten because I had these rashes and stuff. Um, and it really affected my self-confidence. Um, no, and on top of that, I'm, you know, the since I was, I think, ten months, my parents quit. They went to Singapore. They left me with my nanny and my grandmother. So I remember those very early childhood memories as a baby, um, as a one-year-old to one to one and a half feeling tremendously insecure uh, and tremendously abandoned. You know the word abandoned. So I felt like second citizen to my cousins who had their parents and um, I felt quivering whenever I had to speak. I wouldn't speak. As a matter of fact, I did not speak until I was two years old. I would only go, mm, uh, I would just mutter like vowels, like, uh, uh, I'll just make sounds. And I only learned my ABCs till I was eight or seven years old. Never before. In kindergarten, I didn't speak a single word. I didn't forget about English. I didn't even speak Burmese. So I remember Chinese garden, I called it Daunti Daunti. <laughs> we were living in Chinese garden. So, and I called it Daunti Daunti. I had these these names, words, sounds, and that was my world. I didn't speak. I think it's because I felt so afraid to talk. It's amazing, eh? I, I speak so much now. So, my nanny, who was a Kayin, Kayin is a tribe in, in Burma, one of the minority tribes in Burma, and she was a nurse, and uh, uh, you know she had proper education and childhood training. And my parents engaged her to be my full-time nurse when I was born. So Titi literally was my mom, bringing me up because my parents were raised back in those times in Burma. Still today. Parents never raise their kids. It's always the nannies, the helpers, the everybody else but the parents. So my mom would at least breastfeed me and then dump, you know, Titi gives, hands it over. Plus, they both left for Singapore for good reasons. And so I was left in the good hands of Titi. Titi was herself, you know, from a minority race. She was full-time nurse and helper for me. So she already has her complexes. She's an extremely shy and soft-spoken and quiet person. So I inherited her disposition of probably a little bit of fear, intimidation, 
and quiet, soft-spoken nature. And so therefore, as a baby, I never spoke. I have a strong belief that the allergy breakouts, huge severe allergy breakouts that I had growing up from uh, six, five years old till eight years old during this period is because of that separation from my parents um, and a feeling of instability insecurity and instability of not knowing um, of not of being severed as well from my parents and then the second severity was when my grandma brought me to Singapore and I was severed from Titi who was my lifelong um, nurse and mother to me right since I was day one since I was born she was there from day zero she was there and I was severed from her I had these huge incredible rages and I still remember that I was um, five, six years old. I would throw up these huge tantrums. I would be angry as hell. I would take a vase, look at my parents in the eye, and I'd just smash it on the ground. This five-year-old kid. I had a lot of anger and huge fists. I would just take stuff, throw it, smash it. When I was a baby, I would pull out my hair. I had a lot of anger issues. Sometimes I like to believe that it's all because it's stemming from my parent, my grand, my mother's side. My grandfather was, you know, he had issues. He had a violent temper. Um, there was a lot of, I think there's a lot of pain body from my mom's side and also from my dad's side. This whole pain and separation of uh, my grandmother having lost her husband since she was my my dad was four years old there's a lot of pain so i think the pain body of our previous generations kind of pass it to the baby and i i like to think that it's partly because of that uh, maybe also because of my past life who knows but the pain and the anger that i was feeling as a young child five, six, it's because I don't know. I didn't know then. Okay, so I was violently angry. So much so that my parents, my dad had a good strategy. He would carry me, bolt me up, put me in the car, and then they'll drive me to the, one of the best fancy five-star hotels in Singapore. Of course, we're not rich, right? You know, I remember our small brown um, uh, Toyota car. It was brown. I still remember it was brown. And um, he would bring us to Shang bring me to Shangri-La. He would bring me to you know the Raffles Hotel. He would bring me to all these super grandiose hotels because anybody can walk in. We'd sit in the lobby, and then I love carpets. So as a baby, or as a you know five-year-old, six-year-old, I would then start swimming on the carpets like whoop whoop whoop, and I'd be rubbing my feet, my hands, my whole body against the carpet. I love carpets. Still not, I love carpets. And that, <laughs> rubbing myself on the carpet, helped me to feel at home. And this anger tantrum subsides. So each time I get into these fits of anger, boom, they got me into the car, drive me to the fancy hotels. And that's the carpet thing, the rubbing my feet, and my hands, and my arms, and my body. 
got me to calm down. I'll fall asleep in the car and that's everything is good. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of pain and trauma. Although, I mean, I'm, I'm saying it sounds so exaggerated, right? It's like, look, I didn't grow up as a... There are lots more suffering out there. You could be, you know, in a war-torn country, see bombs exploding in front of your faces. This sounds like nothing. But I'm not denying it that, well, for me, I think it had me quite a bit of trauma. So I just want to heal that little baby girl in me. Uh, when that moments of super awkwardness, feeling extremely like an ugly duckling, um, with super tan skin and short hair like a boy, not fitting in because I've got rashes and measles and allergies and nobody wants to touch me and just push me away. Um, I like to acknowledge that and really to send loving, kindness, energy to that little girl in me. Say that, hey, everything is okay. That I'm going to grow up, you know, blossom into a flower. Um, and this is only temporary. I remember that there were adults who were really kind. Uh, I, I remember my, my English teacher, Mrs. She, I think that's what she was called, was extremely kind. We all loved her. She was full of love. And she would look at me and just said, you know, okay, you have the most beautiful eyes. I'm like, what? And she'll be like, you have such a pretty face. I'm like, what? You know, like, I refuse to believe her. I like, I like the compliment, but then I'm like, you're just saying that to all kids. So, so I want to talk back to Mrs. She as a little girl who's telling me that I have beautiful eyes and a beautiful, cute little face. And I'll say, thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's like I couldn't accept compliments for a long time because I felt inside to be ugly. And to be scared, right? So it's not unnatural to think now why all the boys that I have huge crushes on, even when I was in kindergarten, were all the rebel boys, all the badass boys. You know, I remember this boy in kindergarten was the worst of the lot. He was so rambunctious and rebellious, he'd jump on the hoods of all the cars in the car, in the, in the car parking lot, like this five-year-old monkey would escape from class and he'd go and have a joyride jumping on the hood of all the cars he would always get himself in trouble and he was my huge crush because the courage so it's amazing i would just look up to him like <gasps> but i was so dysfunctional as that toddler that five-year-old six-year-old four-year-old i can't remember Pre-nursery was four. I was in pre-nursery since four to six. I remember pooing in my underwear. That is how dysfunctional I was. I literally didn't know how to take care of my own pee or poop. And I was just pooing class because I was so nervous. I still remember. I was extremely nervous to raise my hand to ask the teacher for permission to go to the bathroom. I don't know if you guys remember any incidents of peeing or pooing in your undies when you were a toddler, but I, I sure do. 
because it was disgusting, revolting, and I was silent all through the whole incident. I was silent. I didn't say a word until people discovered the smell. <laughs> like, whoa! <laughs> and my my teacher, thank God, my my form teacher in kindergarten was a really kind lady, a young girl. She was very young. She was really kind. She brought me to the bathroom and she changed everything. She cleaned my poop, everything. I was five, you know. Um, I didn't say a word. I didn't say thank you. I didn't say I was so embarrassed, so humiliated. She called my mom. My mom came down and, you know, it's okay. My mom didn't scold me or anything. But yeah, it was very, very awkward. There's a lot of healing to do with my little girl. Because, man, she had to go through a rough time. Um, so, I think that the confidence and everything that I have now is really because I kind of remember what happened in the past and I've kind of let that go as well. I can tell you the first time I was hauled into a meditation retreat, my mom signed us up for a 10-day Vipassana self-awareness meditation boot camp in Singapore with Chamie Yeta, so Chamie Siado from Burma and Udamarakita, who was an Australian monk at that time, and now he's disrobed, but still teaching um, Vipassana meditation. He is my, let's say, guru, uh, Jeff Oliver. I went for this 10-day boot camp, not knowing a thing about meditation, right? Neither did my mom. We were like Buddhists, but we were not practicing meditation, so we didn't really understand. You know, we were just chanting, and I didn't understand a word about the chanting. It was all in Sanskrit. We didn't understand. So, yeah, we did this boot camp. The first time I sat down to meditate, the first time. I don't know what the hell I was doing. I was just closing my eyes, you know, chill out. I started crying like shit. I cried and cried and cried for three hours, nonstop. I was just like, the whole morning was just flooded with tears. You know, the kind of crying, hysterical crying. I think I was crying about who, you know what? I was 18 at that time. I was crying about Titi, my nanny that I left behind in Burma when I was a year and a half, when I came to Singapore, like close to two. I was crying about her. I never thought about her. See, from since I came to, to Singapore, I was two years old. Up to the point till I was 18, I never had a thought for Titi, never. I went through life like that. Just because I closed my eyes, bang, this whole floodgates just opened up and I cried bucket loads because of the separation with Didi. And uh, my mom was wise enough to just leave me alone. Uh, the monks left me alone. Everybody left me alone to just cry it out. And it felt a whole lot better. I think I just let go this whole nervousness and loss and sadness that I had kept not understanding what it was because I was too young to understand what the hell was happening but I felt the sadness in me and every single pore of me remembered the body remembered the separation and the mindfulness meditation allowed without knowing you know sometimes it's magic happens to release all that sadness just came out, lots and lots and lots of tears. I felt so 
good after that. So yeah, I think um, you know when it says you know process your fears, you know we're talking about communication and finding confidence. It's uh, it's not the fact that you're scared of anybody in that meeting room, uh, or in fact we're we're afraid of our own shadows because somewhere down the road, you know, deep darkest memories, we felt little, we felt belittled. We felt insignificant. We felt ugly. We felt unloved. We felt the pain of separation, the pain of loneliness, the pain of rejection. You know, those girls who didn't want to hold my hands or be my partner, or everybody looking at me in some strange way because I had measles on my face, and I wasn't pretty like everybody else. I didn't fit in. All that awkwardness leaves um. A mark in your body or your mind somewhere it gets repressed, and then it manifests in other ways. That's why we don't have the confidence, or we're not living a full, full life, because we kind of obliterate our memories, but they're not gone; they're just suppressed. So, you know, when the people say like, "Oh yeah, positive thinking, positive thinking," you gotta be positive thinking. I think that's bullshit. Because how the fuck do you want me to be positive thinking if、uh, I've got lots of issues to deal with? If I'm feeling negative right now, I'm feeling negative right now. What the hell are you telling me? Be positive. I'm feeling angry. Stop telling me to be positive, you son of a. You know. You know what I mean? So, so what I love, I'm gonna tell you, what I love about self-awareness meditation is when you're feeling angry, just say yeah, feeling angry. Don't gaslight yourself. What's gaslight? Is when someone says, "Oh no, you're not angry. Oh no, this is not true. Oh no, this is not how you feel. No, fuck, bullshit. Yes, this is anger. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling dejected. Feeling lonely. I'm feeling repressed. Say it out loud. Yes, anger. You're welcome here. I see you. Sadness. You're welcome here. I see you. Say it out loud. Don't deny. You know, the little girl. That's K.、Um, when I was in kindergarten, I was feeling lonely. Suppressed, sad, separated, rejected. I'm validating all that feelings. Okay, it did happen. <laughs> It's true.、So, yeah, I recognize that. But I'm gonna give you a big hug as well. You know,、um, and all this is gonna change. So,、uh, yeah. So I think it's、um, my mom. She found topical creams for my allergies. She brought me to all the doctors that were treating prostitutes who had gonorrhea and syphilis. It was so embarrassing for her to bring me to those like you know、uh, specialist doctors for skincare, because literally they were curing all the prostitutes. And she was there feeling really awkward amongst this hall full of you know ladies who were basically you know、um, uh, uh, sex workers and her her with her little daughter.、Um, And、she was super awkward, and I remember feeling awkward with her. That place was so dark. But she gave me creams. It didn't work. What worked at the end was toothpaste. So someone in Burma said, "Just apply toothpaste on her face."、And、so they did, and it it worked. The allergies, the measles, the it went off. And we realized the cause of the allergies was the cats in my tuition teacher's house. Each time I go there, I'll play with the Siamese cats, and I'll come back. My face is all red. 
So then I knew that I was allergic to cats, and I still am today. If I get close to cats, I'll just break out and I'll sneeze and not good. But back then, when I was a kid, I was allergic to cats, but also to seafood, prawns, squid, except fish. I'd be super allergic.、Um, but I'll still be eating them because we didn't know a lot about allergies back then. I have a feeling that the allergies are really not because of the food or the cat, but it's because of the pain of the separation、um, from my parents, and then the second double separation from my, you know. My nanny and my、uh, granddad, so that's kind of like the double separations that I had to go through, and that broke out in severe allergies when I was a little child. Ah, <sighs> yeah. Hence, you know, this podcast is really to share with you my personal story. That some sometimes you know when you think back like this, you can join the dots. You know, you can really join the dots. I've always when you look you look at look at something. Who are the people that you adore and admire the most? For me, I've always admired people, whether it's a guy or a girl, who have beautiful hair, who have very fair skin. Yes, fair skin, beautiful hair, very well dressed, like you know, super smart, like fancy clothes, fashionable, tall, good looking. Always, rebel, you know, a little bit of that wild side, tough, edgy, super confident portrays themselves at least as to be super confident. I've always. Fallen head over heels for those kind of people, always, not knowing why. I'm just like completely enthralled, enthralled by their mystery, their aura, and I know why, because I didn't feel like I had those qualities. So I was admiring the qualities in them that I have suppressed in me, because this little K who felt like an ugly duckling, who had short hair. Who was dark? Who had, you know,、um, allergies and measles and breakouts on her face? Who didn't have flawless skin? Who was scared and meek? Who couldn't even talk? You know, I was almost like dumb because I couldn't talk and I didn't talk and I refused to talk till much later, till I was, yeah, seven. I started talking maybe. That's it. I didn't talk at all. I was scared shit. I was completely cloistered up. So these qualities I've suppressed, and therefore I admire all the people I've admired so far. They're all tremendously good-looking, tremendous mane of hair, tremendous flawless skin, and smooth fair skin.、Uh, duh, you know, like can't think about it. Yeah, hell, I know why. And so the idea is, sure, I can go out and you know have crushes, have infatuations, love these guys and girls, but that's not going to solve the problem. Really, you think that their love is going to heal me? No, nada. So 
I totally believe that what we got to do is to love back ourselves. We are loving the qualities in other people that we have suppressed in ourselves that we think we do not have. So we're trying to complement it by, you know, liking someone else. We think that that's going to complement me. But in fact, we got to find back those qualities in us. So I had been denied of fashionable clothes because my mom never believed in buying expensive stuff. So I've always had hand me, I've always had, you know, like tailor-made clothes or like hand-me-downs from her friends who passed it on. I, I felt I neglected myself. I didn't have those fancy clothes. Um, obviously, I didn't have long, beautiful hair. I was not even allowed to keep long, beautiful hair. That's the other hair podcast. Um, my skin was pathetic because of all the allergies. I felt ugly. I felt rejected. I felt abandoned. I felt separated. Um, so those kind of suppressed is something that I need to come back and acknowledge first and release and say that I can have them because I do. I am beautiful. I have talent. I am good. I've got something to share with the world. So it's an interesting journey. Just be courageous because this is the healing process. This is where no one can do the healing process for me. I have to walk this path. And as much as I like to blame my parents, I've been blaming my mom for a long time, you know, and my mom's been blaming her mom for the longest time. And my aunt has been blaming her sister, my mom, and her mother for the longest time. We've all been, my cousin's sister's been blaming her mom as well. <laughs> We're all kind of like stuck in the pain body. Blaming is not the way out. It just leads to more anger. And besides, everybody feels like a victim when we're blaming. I feel like a victim when I'm blaming my mom. I feel like I've lost my control over her. She feels like a victim when she's blaming her mom. In fact, her mom's even died now. So it's like, how the heck are you going to blame uh, someone who's died? You know? So blaming is not a solution because they themselves are, who, who the hell is perfect? Nobody. So who the hell knows how to be the perfect mother? Nobody. Who the hell knows how to be the perfect daughter? No, because I'm not an angel daughter myself, neither. You know, I have been really a wild child, very hard to govern, stubborn as hell. Um, I'm not easy to, to, be, to be parented, neither. So we got to, I believe truly that I have to be the parent for my baby self, and myself, I have to be the mother for my childhood, childhood me so that I can unstuck those painful moments where I felt really stuck and in the mud. And by doing that, I can release something that had been long suppressed so I can move on to be free and to welcome, enjoy light and love and not fear darkness and hatred. So, yeah, so that's, um, that's a lot. It's a lot of me rambling on. I hope that it's of inspiration to you. And um, if you have your story to tell, make it into a podcast and share it to the world. You know, you can also send me a voice message on Anchor, I believe. You can do so. Or drop me a voice note on whatever, WhatsApp, on 
email. Um, I'll be glad to receive your story too. If ever I'm of inspiration, of help, or you know, just let me know I'm there to to listen, because this is what the pandemic is here to teach us: is um, to slow down um, and stop getting ourselves distracted by daily life, because it is a huge distraction, right? It's there to keep you distracted and in the matrix. You know, watch the matrix. Yeah, the matrix likes to keep you in the matrix so that you don't wake up. But some of us here realize that, hey, there's a lot of waking up to do. Waking up means the power to go in to release some inner demons so that you feel like you're actually a really powerful being and you're not a prisoner and you're not a victim. Neither are you an aggressor. You can move away from this old paradigm and enter into you know, this powerful paradigm where we create stuff together. And that's one of the primary reasons why I'm doing the podcast is you know, whoever out there that shares the same frequency as me, um, we want to build this new world together. We want to share the values of co-creation. So, so join me. And that's it. Lots of joy, light, and love. Bye.